0: Hey, listeners, this is Alex, your host of UOA Entrepreneurs of Asia. After more than a decade of venture building, bootstrapping and scaling, and now investing in Southeast Asia, I sit down with founders, investors, and entrepreneurs who can share their hard-earned lessons and stories for the benefit of the Asia ecosystem and beyond. This episode was recorded at the end of 2021 with my good friend Pei Fu, founder and CEO of Carbon Card a new-age corporate bank that helps new and old companies get new bank accounts in minutes, multiple credit cards, and modern financial tools to help grow their business. Since the recording, Carbon Card has gone to raise a Series A of 15 million USD in February of 2022, right on the heels of a Y Combinator-led seed round of 12 million USD that this episode discusses from the end of last year. This episode profiles PayFu in the first half, If you want to know what a rocket internet, venture capitalist, Y Combinator founder looks like, you've come to the right place. Peifu has an extremely diverse background, and he's one of the most deliberate thinkers I know in my circles. There's a lot to learn from his background, especially for those examining early stage opportunities to build or invest in. Aside from his background, we also cover Peifu's guiding principles for his personal and professional life. To fully grasp it, you will need to listen carefully and tease it out. Towards the end, we discuss what exactly is carbon card and what problems he's solving for the India ecosystem. We also go quite deep into what it means to be a great venture capitalist regardless of what region you're from, and the pros and cons from investing versus building as a founder. If you're ready to learn, let's dive in and listen. Hey, Fu, my brother, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Good to see you again, Alex. And you're calling from where are you calling from today? Shanghai. Okay, so you're still in China. How is the situation in China?
1: It's pretty well controlled, I would say. so China had two yeah. months of very strict lockdown at the beginning of last year. and then after that yeah. um, the focus has been you know um, quarantine anyone coming coming into the country. Um, but, but yeah. pretty much people in the country are, are free to move about. Um, we just gotta wear masks when we're on on the subway or public transits uh, and mm-hmm. some buildings, but that's that's about it.
0: Yeah, okay, so pretty, life, life is pretty normal, though, like no restrictions. People are just doing the normal stuff. And then if there's crowds, you just wear masks and uh, no problems.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, most most there are some scares here and there. But then the government is very, mm-hmm. uh, very draconian in the sense that uh, they can come <laughs> knocking on your door at 4 a.m. with like three people uh, full, fully suited and uh, doing a check yeah. on you. And you're not you're not allowed to leave uh, okay. after until you are tested negative interesting so uh,
0: interesting and, and that's and that's pretty effective
1: yeah so they, they they track you down so if you take it if you take a deep wow. uh, and you because your your driver has been tested positive you considered um, kind of uh, second degree or third degree. Uh, but sure. they will they will um track down everyone who is a second degree and third degree and then see see if that mm-hmm. issue needs to be uh, further expanded right um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite quite effective, you know. No, no, not much liberty to say. But
0: uh, but does do you, uh, personally does does that affect how you feel? It doesn't matter. It's just a small thing, or it's just like it's better if they didn't do that.
1: I actually think it's good that um, yeah mm-hmm. that
0: um, but better for society.
1: I think overall, the society society benefits because the government is doing this. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, if it's a free for all. Then you know people just kind of—it's um, difficult for people to contain themselves, right? And
2: uh, you yeah. need the government to step in here.
0: All right. So before we begin, um, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, we also had some uh, some of our mutual friends who are interested to learn some stuff about you too. So I hope you don't mind. Yeah. Um I I so I know that you you were born in Taiwan, correct? correct. Yeah. But you also spent time in. Thailand. Uh, So what was the situation there? What was happening with the family and
2: what was the background? So um,
1: when I was 10, my family basically moved entire, um, uh, basically I moved everyone um, from Taiwan to to Thailand. And that was back in 1990. Um, And there are two reasons. One is that they didn't want my my brother, my older brother and myself uh, to serve in the military in Taiwan. we had to leave before he turned 15. Um, And secondly, Mm -hmm. the the opportunity economically was quite decent uh, in those days um, in Southeast Asia and uh, Thailand was one of them. So actually a lot of Taiwanese, uh, Mm -hmm. let's say, businessmen uh, moved to um, Southeast Asia um, during that period. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, then spent about 15 years in, in Thailand altogether, went to university there, um, and then had my first job with a P- pe fund uh called lombard investments uh, in Bangkok uh, yeah. investing in uh, late- stage Thai companies um for about two years um then after that my family decided to move to china, move to china uh, <laughs> because uh, china was booming at that time that was back in 2004 yeah. Yeah. when you know china joined wto and uh, Correct. economy was just uh, off. uh we felt that uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunities to be uh, to to you know in china so again we moved from from thailand to to china and uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: basically you know ever since then uh, ever since then i've kind of been coming going coming back and forth between china and other places so when i first got to china it was uh, pretty early on And and I basically wanted to um, try my hands at uh, venture capital, uh, given that similar to what I did before uh, in Bangkok with private equity. And so at that time, I joined um, Kleiner Perkins uh, in in 2006 and basically spent about four years investing in tech in China. Um, And those those are really early days, Mm -hmm. right? Those those early days like Focus Media, Baidu, Alibaba, you know, um, those are the big companies back then. Xinlang uh, and uh, Sohu, these are the companies. So, a lot of these are not that, um, I would say, um, um, powerful anymore. Um, but, you know, these yeah, are kind yeah. of the, 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 the uh, let's say, first generation um, tech companies, uh, internet companies uh, in China.
0: It's interesting you say that. Um... I mean, I don't want to go off of too much on a tangent, but but a, a giant search engine like Baidu is still not as powerful. Is it like not like a Google or
2: yeah? Um, it's not like a Google at all. I would say uh, first, Google is is global, um, and they're um, you know um,
1: they're they're more than just a search engine um, nowadays. Um, Baidu kind of fell off the kind of the, the top tier um, tech company in China mm-hmm. because there are players. That like fight dance, um, and also all, because in the past, when you think about information flow, um, most people would access Baidu as the first, as a portal to get information, right? Yeah. And before that, before Baidu, it was actually the, the, the um, like Yahoo and uh, and XinLang, these kind of portals, right? So it would be portals, and then Baidu as search engine, but nowadays, there are so many different um, channels and, and platforms you can go and get their information, um, not just Baidu. So there's ByteDance, there's, there's TikTok, there's uh, um, uh, different different portals
2: um, yeah. and
1: all kinds of um, um, channels. So Baidu didn't really tap- capture all of that. So now they're, they're kind of, uh, yeah, there's still, of course, there's still, still um, Doing very well, but, uh, but they're they're not like the the B.A.T. before is not a B degree. today.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have a few more questions about the background. Um, so it sounds like your family was pretty entrepreneurial. Uh, is it just your family's business people? Is their family business, or uh, is that also part of also why you wanted to do the business side of things? Uh, you know, going to your early career, or or what was that about?
1: Yeah, I I definitely think they're um, very uh, very entrepreneurial. Uh, we tried our hand at all kinds yeah. of all kind of business. We had uh, I'm not yeah. sure if you know we actually had, we had a, a bee farm, uh, like raising a bee yeah, farm uh, wow. in Chiang Mai, Mai, Thailand. So we, oh,
2: we nice, nice. A, okay.
1: and we were into plastics. We we're into like plastic manufacturing machines. Ah. Uh,
0: Plastics was when you guys moved from Thailand to China under uh, in Jiangsu, N J Plastics. company. Yes, exactly.
1: exactly. Okay. okay. So because of that business, we say, okay, oh, why don't we do this in China?
2: I think was Interesting. Yeah, I would, de- I would definitely say that they have a very, uh, very entrepreneurial um, um, spirit, and uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think you know, since uh, since childhood, I've been. We used to live in 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 a factory uh, where. Yeah, the plant exactly. uh, right outside where the, the the machines are humming. And then me and the brothers oh, yeah, would be yeah, yeah. living in the quarter right next to it. Like uh, We can see the machine.
0: Of- like the factory workers. Yeah, <laughs> pretty
1: much like that. Like We can see exactly-
0: Yeah, that's exactly how it it's is, set up, it right? is,
1: So that we can, if, if something's yeah. wrong, it's, hey, something's wrong, go and check it out. <laughs> you see? <laughs>
0: that is that is real entrepreneurship yeah, right there. Extra right?
1: pair of eyes, right? And uh, so, yeah, so yeah. constantly yeah. the machine will be humming and, uh, and you know, the office. the off op- we have three rooms one is our, where we slept, one is the office, one is where say the, the, the kitchen or something. So, uh, yeah, definitely, um, good times, I would say, uh, good experience.
0: And how, how many languages do you speak?
1: Um, so I would say Man- Mandarin, English, Thai, mm-hmm. um, Taiwanese is a, is a dialect, so not quite a language. Uh, learn mm. a bit of Japanese and uh, 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 a, li- a little bit of bahasa and
0: it's uh, still okay. Still very do. rusty
2: though but uh, yeah
0: yeah yeah okay okay it's not not too bad and then uh, one question that uh, some of our friends had was i don't know if you want to go too vulnerable it's up to you if you want to share i'll leave it to you um you know uh, you you were you got married pretty early right and um, I don't know if you want to share that experience, but they're, they're kind of curious about your life philosophy. Right? You, know, you had some, some events that changed your, your life and how you, how you want to choose to live. Um, would you share about your life, your life philosophy and how that came about? Or Sure,
1: uh, I think you know, philosophy is definitely uh, too big of a word. I am not sure that it's called a philosophy. But I would <laughs> say that uh, I, I have a bit of a guiding principle that um, if things make sense, and people are happy and you're happy then you should make it happen um so you know yeah. i i if if things were to uh repeat itself i would uh happen the same thing in heartbeat right but then you
2: know mm-hmm. some things don't
1: turn out as well as expected or as you expected at all um and it ended up being better for everyone for a certain path to be followed and yeah. um then I, I guess that makes sense, right?
0: That, that, that applies on a personal level. Do you think that also overlaps in the, the work, like career wise and work wise?
1: I think so. I think so. I think um, it's difficult to see, of course, how, um, how a decision will impact you down the road, or way down the road. Perhaps a mistake yeah, that you thought you made ended up being the one that will ultimately um, help you win. Or, or succeed in aspects, an mm-hmm. and that, those are things you cannot see. Um, but but I would say to kind of reduce the anxiety you have for yourself uh, when you worry too much about the future or think too much about the past. Um, you wanna you wanna have a, a set of principles where you feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. and and you're ready to deal with any kind of consequences. That, that, that come because of that guiding principle. Now, of course, you can tweak no. as, as you go, right? But then if you decided yeah. that you would take A because of these reasons, then if A turns out to be bad, you should not, um, you should not just complain. You should think about how do you revise your guiding principle, you need it. Yeah. But maybe you knew that there was gonna be a certain amount of chance or risk when you took A, but then, based on your principles, you thought that was the best yeah. option. Yeah. Um, if if you were to do it again, that that will probably happen again. Right, you pick A again. A again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it doesn't doesn't mean it's the wrong decision or anything. Uh, maybe B, C, D would be even worse. Right, you, you, you never know. Mm-hmm. so so I think you know a, a lot of people like to, um, maybe think a little too much about the future, overthink it, and um, that I, that I think will just seem to add add to um, you know unnecessary stress and anxiety, which doesn't help people perform well
0: yeah it seems almost very pragmatic and it also seems very logical way to kind of go about it um, How much of this do you think is more of you trying to justify kind of what happened in the past versus it being a an actual logical conclusion of how to live well
1: I don't think it's a well I definitely don't think the justification for for anything right? I don't think uh, just being mm-hmm. required because uh, uh, <laughs> you asked me about you know, philosophy. I'm just more more um, I'm just sharing kind of my thinking process of um, mm-hmm. why I would choose a over B and the reasoning behind mm-hmm. it. Now um, you know many people p- people are different right Some people are, are more
2: you no. know emotional,
1: some people are more more rational. Yeah, um, yeah. So on and so forth. Right. So we all have our way of uh, um, um, making decisions, and um, yeah. what wherever we are today, it, it is simple um, accumulation of all the decisions we've made in the past. Um, yeah. And um, you know, some people are perfectly happy doing whatever they're doing. Right. Some people are not. And Just, uh,
0: no, no point to overcomplicate. it. Yeah.
1: I think. I think. You know. Understand what drives you, um, have some simple rules, and just stick with it.
0: Yep, yeah. And so, uh, also very briefly, just so people get a better idea of where you know kind of where you're coming mm-hmm. from. You know, you had the family business in China, then you did Kleiner Perkins in two thousand six, two thousand ten during the clean tech era, which is a very interesting period of time. I think our, uh, our our old boss Dennis Wang was also doing private equity in clean tech <laughs> yes, at the same yes. time. Um, McKinsey for less than a year. What happened to McKinsey? Why why did you stick around for for longer?
1: So McKinsey was more of a um, I say an experiment. Um, okay. I I went there during my uh, when I was at uh, uh, Berkeley doing doing B school. So I I was yeah. at McKinsey for, for the summer, and uh, okay. I, I at that time I was thirty, and then I I didn't feel that uh, I wanted to kind of start. Uh, or, or, you know, begin my career after B school with uh, with consulting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would have been quite exciting for sure. Um, and I felt that uh, what excited me more was, uh, say, startups and uh, and investments. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the. So, I, how how I think about if if you know if, if I have to choose um, as for myself, yeah. what are the three best jobs? Um, fresh yeah. out of university. I would say yeah. they would be um, um, investment, like PEVC investing, um, emergent yeah. yeah. banking, or management consulting. Um, the reason being that mm-hmm. um, all three of these exposes an individual to a wide variety of different industries um, at different stages.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and during that period, you, because there's so much exposure to different things, um, you can kind of you can kind of understand each of the industries a bit better, um, and eventually, hopefully, land the one that uh, that you're truly passionate about, um, and, and and stay, uh, you know, uh, in that industry. So I think these three are pretty good. Um, now, compared to com- within these three, I would say banking and consulting are actually even better than PE and VC. Because um, banking and, and consulting, they really prepare you professionally and give you a lot of training on, on all the hard skills with modeling, with yeah. analysis, with uh, industry research, um, so on and so forth. So I think banking and consulting would, you know, if I, did, if I can pick, I, I would say these are the top two um, um, careers that I prefer at the beginning yeah. when where I can build up my hard skills. I was very lucky that uh, when I joined the PE fund, uh, fresh out of school, um, my senior or my my associate, he he was a superstar from Merrill Lynch, so he taught me everything. Yeah. Uh, it was just me and him. I was only an analyst, only associates, nice. and he basically taught me everything that a banker had to do. Um, for 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 PE fund. so I was, I'm i still, still yeah. eternally grateful uh, for for his uh, his you know his guidance and and support and, and training. Very tough, um, but uh, you know, it's, um, I, I yeah, I, I learned so much there. Um, so so kind of coming up, kind of um, there you know coming back to, to consulting. So when I when I did consulting during my B school, I felt like it was more of a um an experience uh, that' am just see how it's like. Um and um, yeah, but then you know after that, I I decided to leave and I, I decided to join Rocket. Right, that's when.
2: And, and
0: all that. It's like, a, a, it's applied consulting, I guess you could say, which is a, a more st- steroid version of, of actually doing the execution part where you typically in consulting, you just talk about it, then go to the next client and never see or feel it uh, rocket, you know, you have to pull the spreadsheet, do it really quickly, then you go build it. Um, so it's kind, kind of going deeper in, into that direction. Uh, I mean, that being said, it, I mean, I guess I, I, you know, I won't go too deep in it, but um, I, I don't know if I completely, yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of agree that you get the exposure, but there's also you know, the moral hazard of young people not knowing what game they're playing, and then they they stay in the game too long for the wrong reasons, right? If if you're going with the mindset of that knowledge beforehand, that you can take advantage and find somewhere where you want to land, because you don't know what you don't know, and these kind of jobs can give you an exposure of knowing these things, but the problem is they end up playing the game, you know, it's all about the money, it's about being flashy, uh, signaling on these things, and then, you know, you kind of get stuck, and then a lot of these guys don't have purpose in life beyond two years. They do it for five years, seven years, and then, like, it's hard, you know, uh, then you get stuck in a trap, so uh, that's just you know, that's, that's if you can balance the mindset and know what you're doing it for, then I would probably agree with you.
1: Yep, yep, I, I think, uh, every well, you can you can view it as a trap, um, but some people view it as a heaven, depends what your goals are. And some people, yeah, as yeah. As yeah, exactly, yeah. trap yeah. in heaven, and I love it, right?
0: Uh, people yeah. are wired different,
1: Correct. that's my bias, and um, yeah. I believe that. Again, as long as they enjoy what they were doing at that time, there's really nothing against that, right? So, um, and people have different different aspirations and uh, and potentials and uh, and plans, right? So, um, yeah, I, everyone, has,
2: everyone, everyone
1: can, can share what 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 they like, um, but I, I just find life to be very fascinating that uh, what you hate some days may end up being what what you like later, vice
2: versa, yeah. right?
0: So, yeah, you right. didn't even know what yeah I mean, it's a very good point. it's more more along the lines like do you really understand what you're doing at the core level and why and uh, if you if you accept you know what are trade-offs and consequences then it probably doesn't really matter. It's just I guess what I'm alluding to then you're right it's my bias of saying it's a trap but really what I'm saying is maybe you should do deeper thinking of why you're doing these jumps. Right. and lots of times w- the things they were doing they didn't have fulfillment and uh they were doing it for other reasons that weren't really making people happy because i heard that story many times from people who stayed in consulting or banking too long and then they made something else so like oh, i should have, i should have left earlier uh but you know I, th- I think you're right if you're a very thoughtful person and you can do a lot of homework introspection wise then it's probably not a problem like you said it's really not a big deal you could do it for 10 years and be happy it's not, it's nothing wrong um uh, so moving on you after McKinsey, you did Zalora, you did Easy Taxi Groupon, which is like a three-year Rocket span. Um, after Rocket, you did Mommy Love. Then you went back into VC uh, under, is it 01VC it's called? Or how do you say the yeah, name? Yeah, 01VC. Because 01VC. And then after 01VC, which uh, I think what we're going to talk about first is uh, you founded a company, 2019, called Carbon Card. Yeah. So I believe, uh, congrats are, congratulations are in order. You Did you get funding from YC or, or what's the situation with uh, YC?
1: Right, so we're part of uh, YC Summer 2021, um, the batch. Okay. It's, it kind of just ended. We just had our demo day at the end, at the end of uh, August. Nice. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's the fourth time they're doing um, the, the batch um, virtually. Um, in the past, uh, we would have to fly into to the Bay Area for three four months yes. and have a uh, camp uh, conducted there, right? So, so this year, I mean, I mean, this these two years, um, um, all these batches have been done um, kind of remotely, right? Uh, so yeah, so they did invest, and um, you know, uh, along with other other investors.
0: So huge, huge congratulations! It's uh, quite. Quite an achievement to, to have this, the branding stamp of Y Combinator. So uh, I think you guys are probably on the right track. Um, so before we move forward, why don't we tell the audience what exactly is Carbon Card? What is the problem? What's the pain point? And what are you solving?
1: So Carbon Card is a um, corporate card for, for companies uh, in, in India. So we're only serving Indian companies. Um, and the card essentially gives them a credit uh, in which they can spend for up to um for a month uh, for, for up to 30 days yeah. uh, and then they will pay back uh, the balance and then they can spend again. Um, so we don't charge them anything. There are mm-hmm. no fees, uh, no interest. Uh, we earn money from the interchange, which is what the merchants pay when the card is swiped. So let's say yeah. if I issue a card uh, and you swipe it on Grab, then Grab will be, paid, will be paying an interchange fee and that is our, our income. Yeah. Um, so as a customer, you should be quite, quite happy that you get a card uh, with credit. Um, You're not paying anything for it, Um, and you can issue the card to different people in the the company. So you can have one for your finance manager, one for yourself, one for the sales head, um, so on and so forth. So all of their, um, any corporate expense, as long as you pay through this card, then there will be no need for reimbursements because um, the company is covering for this card, right? Um, so the entire process of you kind of stapling the receipts and filling up the reimbursement forms, submitting it to finance yeah. managers, and then getting the, getting um, paid back next month or so, that entire process is eliminated. Um, so so yeah. ba- that's essentially what a corporate card is, um, and you know we're we're um, we're focusing on that uh, in India right now. Yeah,
0: there's a few interesting points there. Um, the the first one it actually kind of reminds me of a lot of corporate solution products. Like when we're doing Easy Taxi, we're doing uh, Easy, Taxi corporate, Easy Taxi corporate, right? So you have like limits. And the, the, so it sounds like you're solving one pin point there. Um, I'm guessing from the other side of the pain point though, was it very hard for certain companies in India to be getting this type of credit? Uh, what was this, an under, underserved market? Or what exactly was the angle when you built up this company? The,
1: the biggest pain point for Indian companies is that it's very difficult to get a card from the banks, um, the banks yeah. make it quite difficult. They, they would ask for a lot of fixed deposit first, they would ask for a personal guarantee and the, the process to get the card um, applied um, takes three months or so. Um, so um, we, we, we offer our card to our customers with no fixed deposit, with no guarantee, um, it takes about 15 minutes to apply the card can be issued on the same day or next day. So, so I would say it's um, relatively no friction um, for the customers to try our product. Um, and, and this is an underserved market because um, banks should traditionally view and they still view um, the startups and SMEs as high risk. Um, they don't want to extend credit to these yeah. uh, companies yeah. unless there's are deposits from these companies, um, so I think that's our, our, I would say wedge in the sense that we, we believe we understand the startups relatively well. Uh, we are able to understand who investing them, um, is their industry um, supported or 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 not by by let's say by COVID, um, and and yeah. you know conduct some of these um, basic analysis that uh, the banks can do. Of course, if they want, but they're just um, you know high risk averse and just don't want to take any risk. For these um, these startups or these SMEs, um, and, and so we are bearing the risk um, for for any kind of default, yeah. of course. Um, but um, I would say that's our that's our angle, um, and that's our value prop for a lot of these uh, these startups in
0: India. And is is the best comparable? Is it fair to say is Brex or or is it different?
1: Yes, it's pretty close.
0: Okay, so it's pretty close, and um, and and the, the business model uh, it seems quite. Uh, well, I don't know, it must be unique for the region. I don't know if it's unique to the Brex model. Uh, how did you come up with ha- charging onto further down the payment stack with the merchants? Like, Do you have to actually go negotiate with the banks on, on, on splitting it, or, or how does that actually work So out? we
1: work with the bank to issue corporate cards, um, and Visa or MasterCard, they'll be the ones that uh, work with the merchants um, to, let's say, uh, yeah. process the, the, the payments, and then and, and and collection, right? Um, so so basically, these are things that um, have been done by our partners, meaning the bank and um, the, the, the
2: merchant, yeah, or uh,
1: merchants and the uh, uh, Visa, Mastercard. Okay.
0: Uh, so do you so the uh, the way for you to grow then is to just keep on doing, doing these kind of partnerships. Of course, acquiring the the customers who need the cars, but then you have to keep on doing deals with more and more. Banks, or you have to only get a few of these, uh, you know, distribution points like visas and Master's, and you're done. Or, or how does that work?
1: So we actually um, um, do all of the distribution. We're the ones that go and acquire the customers. Um, at the back end, uh, the bank and let's say Visa, Mastercard, they handle the infrastructure for the card to be issued, yeah. for the card to be used and um, and, and, and you know functional. And all that, um, so we do not need to work with um, additional banks if we don't want to. Um, we just need to focus okay. on acquiring more customers. That's how we. Uh, that's how okay. we grow.
0: And then for you talked about risk, so why are the banks partnering with you guys? Like, how are you guys thinking about risk and managing the risks? If if this wasn't being solved, why are they partnering with you now? Uh, how do you go about managing the risk?
1: So we underwrite the customers based on you know, their cash balance, their financial performance, um, their industry, their investors, uh, You know, a lot of different parameters that we use to underwrite the customers. Um, so uh, my team is quite experienced with uh, SME lending in India. Um, so, so we understand that business uh, relatively well. Now, the banks working with us because banks themselves are competing one another so we are working with one bank that wants to compete against other banks and basically they lend us their license and we help them distribute we acquire customers on their behalf Um, so there's that symbiotic relationship between
2: us and the banks
1: Um, now we're now working with the biggest banks because usually the bigger banks are uh, quite um quite i would say um difficult to work with because they, they, yeah. they want to do things on their own, right? Um, so so we partnered with
2: uh, smaller banks. Okay.
0: So in the the A16Z framework, uh, people, product, market, I think the product's quite clear. Right? I think you described it pretty well. It's a pain point. Uh, you know where you're focusing. Uh, the market, I'm assuming has to be big. It's it's India, right? Uh, it's underserved niche. Even if it's a niche, it's probably a, SMEs are massive. How, how big is the market for, for Carbon Card?
1: There are more than 40 million, SMEs in India, um, yeah. I think, of that perhaps ten percent or so at least have a need for a card. Um, so on a very high level, those we are um, ten. But you know we are also launching new um, banking products. So as we launch more banking products, mm-hmm. um, more and more um, of those forty million SMEs become um, our our, our, our Thai audience.
0: And then I think for the last piece, um, people, this is a very interesting one. You're Taiwanese, uh, live significantly in Thailand, uh, experience all over the world, uh, worked in China a lot. Um, it seems very unintuitive for a Chinese founder, uh, in a sense, quote unquote, Chinese founder to, to operate in India. Um, so what gave you the confidence to think that you could actually solve a problem? And how did you even end up in India? Like, why, why not do this in markets you're familiar with that people are willing to fund right away and uh, where they kind of saw the fit? So, so what happened there? So before um,
1: building Carmen, I was with BC like you said, right? and uh, yeah. at that fund, my, my main role was to basically incubate fintech companies in different parts of the world. That include India, include Indonesia. Um, so we basically incubate a lot of fintech um, companies in these two markets, and that's how I got to learn about the, the market in, in, you know, mm-hmm. in, in India. Um, and when we evaluate the, the the model for different markets, uh, India ended up being the the, the most favored one. Um, number one is, uh, oh, okay. is credit starved. Um, so so it's difficult for for companies. And people are like to get credit from anybody. Number two, the banking industry is quite fragmented. So there are hundreds of banks in in India that have licenses to operate. Um, that's not the case in China or Indonesia, where the banking industry is quite uh, quite consolidated, and it's difficult to work with a bank to say issue corporate cards. Um, so. Due to these reasons, uh, we, we felt that uh, India was a perfect market. And you know, during the time when we were incubating fintech companies in India, um, we already got quite familiar with the ecosystem, with the market, and with mm-hmm. uh, uh, with, uh, with opportunity, basically. And I think this is a part where I guess the more you push yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, the, the more you're comfortable with new things
2: and um,
1: new markets. So I guess because I have been exposed to different markets, um, you know, Taiwan, Thailand, China, Indonesia, um, then India didn't become, didn't didn't sound like too much of a challenge, given that
2: as long as, <laughs> we,
1: have a, really? as, long as we have a, I would say, understanding that you, you want to focus on what what makes sense for yourself and uh, what the market needs, uh, then yeah. there's always a way in. Um, it may not be immediate because it's a new market, um, but then you know, given it give, give enough time, if the model is right or the team is right, um, the market will prove that it's right. So. So I think, you know, oh, right. internally, in if you say, hey, why is this uh, Taiwanese guy who grew up in Thailand doing a fintech company in India? If you jump from there to there, then naturally it sounds very, uh, very, yeah. very, um, very, very odd.
0: That must have happened, though, right? When you were probably pitching for raising your seed round. Um, was that an issue?
1: But, um, well, it depends on whom I'm raising the money from. So when I first started, yeah. I, I reached out to my... Uh, um, my Chinese friends, um, or uh, you know, yeah. people who knew me and uh, understood uh, the model and understood the market. So It wasn't too hard. I mean, they they they, they know what I've been building in the past. Uh, they can see potential yeah. for the for the uh, for the business. Uh, they may not know the market so well, but uh, given that I have uh, built companies uh, in other parts of the world. Um, that wasn't that was it was uh, it wasn't too hard to have for them to have that of faith.
0: and how, how do you think about this business model across regions then like just so from what I understand if I read in between the lines uh, the reason why this model doesn't exist yet in Southeast Asia is because um, Southeast Asia is also fragmented but with very big moats in individual uh, countries right it's the banks are quite consolidated in every Southeast Asian country limited licenses um, but I, I, I feel the pain points very real still, in that uh, I know tons of SMEs who just can't get access to credit cards. Like some of the most successful guys are going international now, um, five, five, six years in, they still can't get a credit card. Uh, so how are you thinking about this from region to region, or do you just only think about it from the India perspective for now?
1: I do agree that the pain um, is universal in the sense that banks, yeah. because they've been protected by the licenses in their moats, um, have and have made it difficult for 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 fintechs to issue cards um, as they wish so that's definitely been something that's mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that's a case for the past few decades um, now in terms of I guess the the, 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 the question you're asking is um, are we thinking about expanding beyond India say into markets like Southeast Asia um, there's always a possibility I think it's more about the bandwidth um, and um, also how much opportunity we do see in India uh, in itself. Um, plus the, the uncertainty brought forth by, by COVID, um, so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. So it's a pretty complicated um, um, situation. And so I would say that for now we're quite uh, focused on India um, and uh, we do see a lot of potentials um, you know, emerging as well. Uh, not, not just with cards, but also with other um, banking services. So, yeah, I think, you know, right now we're not, we're not thinking too much about it um, and are and focused solely on India, but it's hard to say what will happen
2: in the future.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like at this current stage, uh, you guys have to be extremely product focused, right? There's probably a lot of back-end infrastructure to support this if you want to scale it properly, right? So I would imagine tech being a very heavy part of the business that you need to invest in. Is, is, is that correct? Yeah,
1: for sure. I think um, that's, I guess, fundamentally what differentiates uh, a tech startup from a traditional company yep. uh, in that you have a, a product
2: and, and you know, uh,
1: that, that that can scale.
0: Okay. So the the other comparables are quite more, much more mature. And I think it's probably similar to what we said that they've already built up the infrastructure. Do you see carbon card unfolding very differently as a product for the Indian market versus say like what we see in the, the Americas, um, does it become like more of a neo bank or does this become like a feature that a bank acquires? Or how, how do you think about it?
1: I think there are.
0: Mostly, most of the
1: U.S. players are becoming like, um, let's call them, financial operating systems. Uh, not only are they operating corporate cards, but they're moving to expense management, moving to different kinds of um, you know, SaaS tools like account receivable management, um, accounting software, so on and so forth. And I think that makes sense in the U.S. because uh, labor is just more sensitive there. And uh, companies value these, uh, these features. But then in India, labor is quite cheap. So mostly companies simply hire more people to solve these problems. So we're, we're, we have a, some light, I would say, expense management um, features that help our customers out. We're not charging for it. Um, but for now, we'll focus more on just building out the, the corporate card. Um, because that in itself is uh, okay. it's, it's big enough. Um, and we want to be quite focused on, on that for now.
0: How are you spending most of your time these days? Are you spending mostly on product, uh, sales, growth, marketing? What are you doing to split your time? So, I
1: would say over the past uh, four months or so, at least uh, 70% 70 of my time has been spent on fundraising. Um, And I think uh, that's that's, uh, that's, um, fortunately wrapping up. And uh, I'll be probably um, keeping just 20% uh, my time on fundraising and uh, the other 80% will be going back to say team building um, growing the team um, putting the processes um, and uh, growing the business basically um, so
2: yeah.
1: yeah I think uh, I think it's about time to it's it's always that uh, back and forth right so you know, once you know
2: yeah, Once correct. you have
1: uh, enough uh, enough money, then you kind of go and go um, to business again, and then we we kind of need more. Then you kind of switch back. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's uh, kind of that uh, that, that transition period uh, for us right now.
0: Maybe in the future, if you're raising again, you could give uh, a syndication of our friends uh, a small little allocation, a little tasty taste.
2: <laughs> of course.
0: <laughs> and so, with that in mind, uh, you know you talked about fundraising. You you spend a lot of time on it. How how are you thinking about the current environment, and you were a VC for a long time, so you probably know this really well. Do you think, especially in emerging markets, that you should be raising way more money than you probably need because the funding is available and having a capital in the short term is an advantage for emerging markets? Uh, Would you agree with that or no?
1: It's a very dynamic question. So let me try to um, break it down. Um, I would say uh, a a principle um, that we we follow is that um, treat capital as food and not air so in each meal that you eat if you eat too much you're gonna throw up you're gonna feel bad um yeah so so i would say in general um know how much you're able to to absorb uh rest a bit and then having the meal um but but depending on the uh, naturally depending on the market and uh, Momentum and industry cool. and uh, need for the, the model for capital, you need to adjust accordingly. In general, fintech companies you have to be quite well capitalized, um, but that can come from equity, it can come from debt. You don't have to raise only debt equity, only equity capital, um, and you can try to get more debt capital. So it's a balance between the debt and equity that you're gonna think about as um, as a as a, as, a, as a fintech in general. Um, in terms of the momentum, um, that, that's also true, that if you think the market is hot and a lot of investors are chasing after to this model, then you do want to uh, make sure that you are, you are participating in it, if possible, right, if it makes sense.
2: Um, yeah. So
1: I would say, think about these three uh, dynamics, right? Like One is uh, how much capital or food do you really need, equity capital, I mean, at this stage? Um, how much capital do you need for your for your, for your for your business, um, the, the momentum of the market. Um, yeah. So I once you, you can if you can kind of balance these three out, um, then you you have a you should have a pretty good idea on um, on whether you should be spending more time on, on fundraising or not. And and bear in mind that whenever you're spending time on fundraising, you're not spending time on building a business. And ultimately you can raise successfully um, primarily because your business is doing well. Um, so so if you spend too much time fundraising, you actually end up um, giving up the opportunity to build your business. So that's definitely a very um, tricky and very um, difficult balance for a lot of fund- founders.
0: Yeah, I mean, in- implicitly, fund- fundraising is-, is milestone management uh, whether whether it's said or not or baked into an actual terms. But, you know, if, if you don't hit certain kind of growth and you spend most of your time fundraising and you didn't actually grow your business, uh, you put an even harder time crunch on you where you probably end up spending capital inefficiently to, to kind of like catch up for the time you weren't building. So, yeah, definitely a tough dance to, 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 to imagine.
1: Right, right. So, you know, one little trick is uh, you can always um, experiment, um, speak to a few investors that you are close to See what they think mm. about your model or your stage about your growth about the market if they think it's a, it's it's pretty solid and yeah you, it probably makes sense for you to to spend more time doing that but you if you've spoken to mm. like 10 20 investors and most of them are being very very um, um, say slow or very very cautious then it probably means that uh, it's a little difficult given what you have right now you may want to spend more time building a business before you go back head back to the market again um, so I would say it's yeah. it's quite important for for all entrepreneurs to really know where is the impact for every action that you take. You can if you're blindly yeah. building a business or blindly fundraising without being cognizant of the actual impact and the, the potential loss of your of of um, whatever you're doing then it's very difficult to it's very easy to, to fall into that trap where you kind of kind of at you are at a different place at a different time. At the wrong place at the wrong time. Um so um yeah I, I think it's uh it's it's definitely a very tough tough dance. Um but the the better you're at it, uh, the more more I think
2: the the more comfortable you can be uh with, with your business building. I
0: mean a- anecdotally though, uh I, I've been seeing more founders more than not kind of putting them situations where they're trying to raise more money without the clarity, right? And um, it, it sounds like what you're saying is very fundamental, right? It's almost like a YC Bible, you know, get the value, make sure you know what you're doing. Then, then you know, uh, if it makes sense, you, you go for the raise, the, the macro conditions are right. But uh, in these days, right, especially when you were a VC, like how much noise were you seeing? Or how much money did you actually deploy? Where it was this kind of situations where there wasn't that clarity, and they were just raising too much that they shouldn't have?
1: I don't think um, there's always a, there's going to be a perfect answer for this. I think um, what's too much is it's yeah. you know the definition of too much is difficult to uh, to to to, uh, uh, to to come up with, right? <laughs> um, so I'll say I'll come back to those um, those those points that I mentioned earlier. You know, know know how much you need. Know the market okay. momentum, um, and uh, think about how much time you're 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 giving up building a business uh, when you're fundraising. If someone's offering a check on the spot and um, you don't do much work, then that probably makes sense, right? As long as the value of the terms are good, right? But then if you have to work really hard for it and go through six months TV uh, to 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 please that uh, investor, who may eventually um, not invest. You know that, that's a pretty big gamble, I would say. So, so I would say, you know, move 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 a little bit, move forward with a bit of tests, and kind of see how uh, where where we stand.
0: You got to know your odds. You got to know the context. Um, I mean, I I, I guess I, I see your point. Why it's not an easy answer. Uh, it's very polished and diplomatic. You could see all the years of VC and uh, being a founder has has uh, given you ability to answer very cleverly. But um, I, I think it does make sense. Uh, the last thing about carbon card that I kind of want to pick your brain at is how are you thinking about developing the product, product cycles? How do you think about shipping and how do you think about engineering?
1: Um, is there a particular, say, area that you want me to kind of um, share my views or is it more like uh, how do I think about building a team? How do I think about um, building a product? How do I think about um...
0: building a product? I'd say more so because I mean, what well, product encompasses. Your ability to put the design and the engineering together in an efficient kind of way across teams, right? And, and and we know, like, for example, in Silicon Valley Bibles will you know, like, shipping fast is very important. Being able to ship, uh, you know, and uh, have that loop where you, you know uh, listen to your users and actually feedback to actually create, manifest the value. Because a, a lot of times, I would I'd argue in Southeast Asia still, and I don't know about South Asia, India, um, this kind of product person is very hard to find. Like someone who really understands, like, you know, the, the you know the theory, the philosophy and execution and to pull it off very well. Like uh, for, for me, one of my favorite products would be using uh, Descript, which I use to edit all the software and they, they literally ship every day. Every time I open up the software, it's just something new. And it's actually, you know, it just adds value every time, you know? So I'm kind of wondering, especially being a YC company now, uh, but coming from a rocket background and coming from developing markets and being a VC in Asia, how do you think about that? You know, is there, where have you landed on your philosophy? So before I answer that,
1: let me ask you a question. Do you know why it's difficult to find good product guys?
0: Uh, I just, uh, you're talking specifically for this region? Or I, know, local, I guess it would yeah. be the same everywhere, right? It, well, it's, it's hard to walk between worlds. So that already makes it harder for people to speak the different languages of, of the intersect. and. Um, it's just it's just a hard problem to to solve to be a great product person is why I focus on a lot on that these days. You develop know, cool. those skills. It's oh, cool. uh, I don't have a really another, another skills. way to think about <laughs> it is
1: that uh, when when these product guys are so good, they find if they start their own business.
0: Uh, oh, so yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, if you're a very good product, you're, person, you're, you're you so you good
1: at understanding yourself. the market, yeah. understanding product, the product, building the building the team, yeah. and fixing problems. You're like, hey, I can do this myself. Why don't I just do a business summer? own business. <laughs> That's that. That's uh, yeah. so, well, so no, I I, not, not necessarily. But I'm just saying that in general, it is uh, it is quite hard uh, to find a, a yeah. solid um, product guy globally. Not, not not just South Asia, but U.S. You know. Yeah, globally.
2: And especially that's if true. the yeah. markets
1: are you know yeah. conducive for for first time entrepreneurs, you know, it, it's difficult. It's it's a yeah. it's a temptation that's difficult to resist.
0: Well, I mean, I was just going to say the last thing is like there are some tailwinds you know, with the amount of money going from you know LPs into VCs into the region. Um, what we've been doing for the past 10, 15 years, 20 years maybe for you. <laughs> uh, but it's I think we're at a point where there is more talent.
2: I agree. You know,
0: uh, like like for example, yeah, If you're like, if you're sitting in Silicon Valley, okay. it's already way better than here. But you know, it, we're at a point where sure. it, it's you know somewhat better.
1: It's always a spectrum, right? There are some yeah. markets that um, funds only want to back yeah. established companies and not first-time founders um, because they Correct. may not see yeah. that you're able to make it happen, make it make it work. Right. So it's I would say it's a spectrum. And I think coming back to the the question about um like like i say product um, philosophy you know um yeah in, in general there, there are so so much thing so so many so many things here but i think um i <laughs> I'll just just kind of share my my, uh, my my two cents based on the past two or three years of building carbon. I would say number one is um know your core product and stick to it um mm-hmm. Don't try to do too much because they end up all pretty being mediocre and it'll go anywhere anyway. So so know your core product, have patience, yeah. uh, and build it out. Uh, that's one. Um, when you want to number two, when you want to try out a new build a new feature, um, figure out a way to quickly test and see if it's. Um, Feasible or if it adds value, don't be so yeah. um, so so keen to build it out entirely because that oftentimes when you build out entirely like that, um, mm. you will not be used and uh, you end up wasting a lot yeah. of time. So let's say you can break down your entire say new oh, feature yeah. into three components. And the first component of just getting users to to try it is not um, when when oh, and you build that and the users don't even try it. Um, then there may not be enough validation um, for for the step components two and three. Um, so because many people always say, well, uh, people think that um, if I don't build out components two and three, then of course people don't, don't try it. So then they say, okay, I gotta build it out. Sure, but that's a gamble you take. Uh, you have to realize that if you do build out components two and three, and no one uses it, you have a you you lose a lot more. So you are able to build out part of the product with component one, and that is enough for you to build some validation um, internally um, for components two and three, then you should do that um, and and not be so worried about um, shipping a perfect product uh, that ends up being being, kind of um, shelved.
0: Product gets even more nebulous than that, right? So if you're, say you have your three components you're thinking about, and you're saying you're going to build the first component how do you even, like what's your process of coming about for even thinking about the first component itself? Like how do you know that's right?
1: Just think about um, the, usually the, the touch point uh, with, with the customers. Uh, the first touch point would be um, yeah. component one. Would they even sign up? I'd say, OK, that's just the thing about onboarding. They even sign, would they even okay. click on this link sure. and, and, and say, uh, they're interested in signing up. Would they even would they even do that after you build you know, after you build out the right um, right demo and all that? Right? If they don't even click in, then then why build component two, which is say another feature, right? Yeah, um, and if they don't have to try the feature, then why build other additional things on top of the feature, right? So yeah. so just think about the the user journey, and start with um, the, the the first step. Of, um, how to get the user to, to to show you that they want this or at least they're, they're interested and with that then you can start kind of um, um, yeah. play around with it by, by calling these customers up and say hey you know you express interest to try this product can understand your needs you know so on and so forth so so again I think it's um, yeah. um, i i I don't think it's it's necessary under the, the, uh, the model of uh, ship fast um, but I think it's more about um, thinking more clearly about how mm-hmm. you can break things down into into, um, into chunks, and I can test out uh, to build some quick wins and quick validation, and then yeah. you know, build on top of that. Because the moment you, you ship the the, the the first part, the the basic the, component one, you're able to get a lot of feedback on how your component two should look like, um, so on and so forth. Great. So I, I think that will save you a lot of time in in uh, in product development
0: yeah what well, what you're alluding to is and i think most uh, new founders fall into this trap is that they think about a logical solution to the problem of how they would do it if and then sometimes they're not really the customer themselves and so um they'll test the first component of how they think it logically works but then they iterate from the wrong base already right so then then you get into the trap of not creating the value and the, the what I, any you know any founder i advise or that i invest in or talk with like First thing I say is just make sure you're talking to your customers. Like you, you know, know know the first touch point, know the journey first. But by by actually interacting with them and knowing what you're trying to solve, not necessarily what they're telling you, right? But like you know, by looking at the behavior, like doing the actual design work, you know, doing the actual user you know research work before you start building it, right? It's just what happens is you also meet a lot of engineers who are, are very technically competent, but they they think about it in a very logical way of how it should be done logically, but it's not how the user would ever do it, right? So. Uh, I think that's you know you're alluding to much further deeper work, and uh, I think very yep, good advice yep. overall.
1: Um I think those are very good points. Uh, and I think in a, a side point to this is that um, a lot of people assume that users are, are are like them, or the pain points that they feel, they will say that that's what users want. And I know, I know, I I know yeah. from my own okay. experience that uh, customers want this. And that that becomes you know it's and I yeah. think it's because that's how we as individuals or human beings have been learning since childhood is that uh, we we reflect yeah. um, you know uh, our we, we make ourselves a center and say because I want this therefore I know you want it um, and, and I think that that could be a pretty fatal um, I would say uh, characteristic um, for for entire company. Because the, the resources yeah. that you that you drain just because yeah. you believe something is so and so, but not necessarily the customers um, or not necessarily you know uh, the market, yeah. then then you know it, it it's 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 very uh uh it's, it's it's very very tough I would say you know if that happens, but it's hard you know it's, it's difficult to kind of like uh, take yourself uh out of your own. own, own
2: view and
0: the 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 only last the only last point I would have contention with what you said is um, it's not so much about sh- sh- how fast you ship because that depends on the the, the context right so if, if now that you're in the market you raised YC you made a splash in the market I'm sure everyone especially India it's a hot market everyone's looking at you now what's going to happen is it's going to invite competition right so I, w- I would argue at some point in time you know it, unless unless you tell me speed doesn't matter and you have a better edge in another way. Uh, you know, shipping fast, but with the clarity is, is is important, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if, if the, someone raises way more money than you, they can move faster than you. Even with a, I mean, product does matter, but if it's good enough where they're hitting the core pain point just enough, uh, and they could outspend you. It, of course, of
1: course. I think if you're shipping fast with clarity, that uh, that means you've thought it through, and uh, you're gonna hit the you're gonna hit the real as a user lead uh, when you launch. So of course, that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it's got to put the two together. Um, so let's let's move on to the next section. View, uh, you, you know, I want to talk about VC and being a VC in Asia. Uh, you were early on, 2006 to 2010 Kleiner Perkins, and then much later on, after many waves, right? you became a VC again, a GP, in the 01 VC from 2016 to 2019. Um, how do you think about being a VC in Asia? Like, what, what makes a good VC for the Asia region?
1: For the Asia region, right? Uh, not just for.
0: I mean, well, this is—is is, is there no—is there no difference? A good VC is a good VC everywhere, or do you need to know something different for different regions? There are different mindsets and philosophies, right?
1: Um, I mean, we—I think we have to kind of narrow the scope a little bit. Um, I think, in terms of, okay, in general, um, an investor needs to be good at three things. One is uh, dual sourcing. Okay. Two is uh, execution. So, um, going through the due diligence and, and all that, writing the papers. Uh, and number three is portfolio management.
2: Yeah.
1: So, and okay. that's true for VCs, that's true for private equity uh, as well. So, if let's, let's say you can do all three, you're, you're going to be a superstar anywhere you go. If you can do two out of three yeah. you'll be okay, okay.
2: Um,
1: if you' can only do one well you may not be able to survive so you always want to aim for at least two <laughs> of those skill sets um, under your pocket now if you okay. think about this 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 con- this, this question with this um, this uh, with this, this context let's say you were a great investor in Malaysia because you can add value to them in Malaysia yeah. and that's because you don't manage the market well, assume that you have to invest in a, a, a Thai um, startup, you may not be able to add as much value to the Thai startup, um, Correct. so on and so forth, right? So so depending on, uh, but maybe there are some aspects I can still you know, advise them quite well, because the model that a Thai startup um, yeah. is, is going after is something that you're familiar with and uh, and you can share your share your view with them with them on that so on and so forth right so so i think um to yeah. to answer the question it would be more like uh you know are you able to add value on or you can are you able to do all three um, um decently well um so yeah so so i think it's uh it's a pretty uh pretty great uh it's
0: uni- so it's a, it's a universal thing you're saying so um being a, being a VC, no matter where you are, probably falls into these categories. Uh, and the, the region doesn't matter so much. So it means that I could transplant some guy from San Francisco, as long as you can do all three well, should be doing fine in Asia.
1: To some extent, yes. Um, but it's not easy, I would say, because uh, the markets um, are so different. Um, the division that you do in the US yes. is very different from what you do in China. Um, and all that. So yes, theoretically you're right that if you can do all three well anywhere you go, then of course you're a superstar. But that's not very practical. It's not uh, not very easy.
0: So so let's do a, a little uh, exercise and um, say if you're you know you quit you know say you exit carbon card and you have too much money and you become a single GP. Uh, what would your thesis and strategy be to invest in the Asia region?
1: Meaning if I become if I, if I raise my own fund and. Um, or invest my own money, what would be my... Well,
0: it's a good question, how would you structure it? Would you take LP money or would you use your own money, uh, but you're a single GP, I guess, and how would you go about doing this? What would be your thesis and what would you, what's your strategy to, to invest and deploy your capital?
1: I would start with your former question and come back to this one. I think, because um, once, you, once you set um, the thesis of how you want to invest, then it's easier for you to think about what's a structure that's suitable for that. I think that's, that's, well, I think the thing about investing is
0: why, why, why specifically proven models, because some of the best companies we see today, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, $200 billion market cap and, and bigger, were ideas that were just not very clear back then, or or they were just they didn't know how big it was gonna get, they thought it was gonna be great, but it wasn't too short, right? So why, why this proven model line, it, it sounds very uh, very safe it, it
1: does it does and does it i sense? think it's the, all about the comfort level right? um
0: okay okay so personal so you plus, have to go personal. and
1: chase yeah. like uh, a thousand unproven models um, it might not it might drive me crazy like uh, how how do i think about this how do i think about that <laughs> you know i think there are many um variables yeah. and unknowns that i'm not comfortable with
0: well but the, but if you're doing seed stage, right, so you're alluding to the, I, don't, I mean, I don't like to say, but spray and pray model, right, and the 500 model has worked out extremely well. And if you look at YC at scale, you know, I think the last, I think you were probably in the batch where they announced the, the headline of 347 startups in the last cohort, right, y, YC at scale is starting to look like 500 too. And I think what YC is probably realizing is that uh, if they want to go global and have impact, they kind of need to do at the level of 500, but, albeit they have maybe better branding. They have, for the current portfolio, they have better you know, uh, returns or whatever. But um, it just seems like why, why not just take the, the risk and just spread more bets? And it's just like we're in a bull market cycle. You're going to hit a unicorn for sure if you do enough of it.
1: I think you need yeah. to have a pretty strong brand and um, machine to be able to, to, be able to, to spread yeah. and um, pray well. And that's assumption. I was, on, I was yeah, on, on, uh, operating under the assumption that uh, I'm not a YC brand. And, uh, I'm not able to attract <laughs> all the top um,
0: yeah correct, correct
1: seed companies um, for me yeah. to take a look at first. Um, and so I was under the assumption yeah. that I would have to go out and find them. That's why I mentioned,
0: uh, you know, got- yeah, correct. You know. Okay, fair enough. And that's how YC started. Uh, I guess Five Hundred didn't start that way. They just kind of kicked the door open and started spraying everywhere, right? I'm not so sure,
1: actually. Um, but um, oh, okay. I, I think I think um, every every investment thesis or style has its reason. Um, some are stronger than others. Um, yeah. Sometimes the the weak ones end up, mm-hmm. and the ones with weak reasons. End up being more successful because they hit a home run uh, so on and so forth right? so it's, it's difficult it's difficult yeah. to, to say um, what, what, what makes the most sense The timing is very very important uh, when you' are um, looking at a particular market. Um, for instance, um, if you are if you're investing in AI 10 years ago you would be too early. Uh, if you invest in AI oh, yes, five true. years from now you're yeah. probably too late. So you gotta you gotta come you gotta be there um, on the right time, right? So how I think about um, you know my my thesis if I have to um, go back to investing is that I'll probably pick an area that I'm comfortable and and familiar with. Um, I'll probably be fintech. Okay. So if I pick fintech and I want to. Invest across, let's just say, the regions in Asia, like China, East Asia, in, in India. Yeah. I would think about what is the the say stage that I um, stage of startups. I mean, that I that I feel most comfortable with,
2: and I, okay. I see
1: the most, uh, and, and that has that that I'm most um, capable of as well. Um, so. And it, and that naturally becomes the the, the the timing when you let's say so you're saying as of today, right? If I were to 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 start, that, right?
0: Yeah. Um, as of today. Late.
1: Yeah. So if I'm able to have great um, great contacts um, like yourself, um, like like others in the region, that can um, be a good scout for for these deals, then you know that's also that's also necessary right? So I would say say those are the kind of key elements of um, how we think think about investing
2: in the region.
0: Fair enough. And to maybe for the Asia region, uh, you could name one, two, or three. Who do you respect the most out of all the VCs in Asia? Maybe in terms of performance, or uh, you know, founder friendly, or you just feel they're just good, good brand. Uh, Who would you pick and why?
1: Asia, right? Like entire region or Southeast Asia. Or
0: yeah, Asia. I mean, if you you could say you could also say I don't I don't like any of these. I prefer to, to get money from somewhere else. Uh, open feel free to see Got whatever. It.
1: I'll probably lean towards early stage, like seed, pre seed, um, fintech products across the region. Okay. Um, and I'll probably um, back those ones that are currently quite. Um, are are a lot of models that's uh, that's successful um, in in China and and US uh, are being played out um, in in these um, regions. So if you're to if you're able to identify yeah. um, startups in that space that are not yet booming, um, then you have a good chance of uh, of investing in a in a, say, in a unicorn. So, so again, I say fintech. I'll say pre-seed, yeah. uh, or, or C, pre a pre-A, and um, models that are probably proven elsewhere, um, say U.S. or China. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and you know, know no my own limitations about um, am able to, um, you know, get exposed to these uh, these deals, um, or by the time I get there to i think you know it's a the typical suspects right um i i but okay. they usually people these top tier funds put you through a, a pretty excruciating process of due diligence and have a high chance of investing
0: so mm,
2: okay
1: you know it, in terms of mm-hmm. if you succeed in getting getting the the money from them then yeah they will be great help and, that right with hiring with uh, with uh, future rounds yes. uh, so on and so forth but yeah. then if you fail um and, and you you spend a lot of time um in, in the process then that's a pretty big loss i would say so again i think it's uh it's a balance right it's not as so um so um, singular of just saying i want this brand on my cap table it's more about for you to get to that, get that brand on your cap table, are you, are you willing to sacrifice and, and maybe and eventually end up not having them and wasting a lot of time. Um, and so that's that's one thing. Okay. Um, another thing is, um, you also want to know who are the ones that will actually bring a lot of value. And what, and what I mean, value is a very vague term again, but in terms of what you really need from them. Is it the capital? Is it global perspective? Correct. Is it is their portfolios or or uh, X Y Z right? So if if you're very clear with, when you're fundraising with exactly what you want or, or exactly what will add value to your company, then based on that you should optimize for that. So for instance, if if I only want capital, I don't okay. care about anything else. Then the brand of the fund doesn't matter. Mm. Whoever invests fast and invest, invests okay. a large amounts quickly, right? That's, that's what you want.
0: Yeah, with first. good terms too, though. Yeah, with good terms. You don't you don't want weird so, terms. Either, right? So basically, yeah. if you're looking
1: okay. you're only looking yeah. for capital, then yes, that's that's a kind of that's we optimize for. If you yeah. want some capital, but you uh, you want more, you want you want them to help you open more doors to potential customers. Then you got to say who are your customers and why would this fund have access yeah. to these customers? Then you optimize for that, um, and or something, right? Yeah. So Correct. so basically if the, the I would say that um, if I would I would kind of flip that question um, as to what who I think um, are, are the best funds in the in the region um, to know what you want um, from from the investors and based on what you want find the best investors that yeah. can bring you that and and that naturally is very different for different
2: um, mm-hmm. um, startups. Yeah.
0: And I, I know you're transitioning to to growing the business with the the current round you already did. Um, but say, say in the future, if you, you hit your milestones and, and your traction is good, who, who, are, who are the names that helps you best now then? Who, who do you want on the cap table? Um,
1: naturally, funds that can connect me to a lot of Indian companies because they help me grow the, the business. Um, oh. Funds that have access to, um, say, debt capital um, that can help there. ones that know other corporate card or, say, um, fintech models um, globally that can shed some light on how they have evolved in their respective countries. I would say these are the types of um, investors that would uh, create the most value um, for carbon. Yeah.
0: yeah. So after after being a VC for about seven years across different times, and maybe a founder for many many years as well, um, it seems that you moving to build Carbon Card is a signal, right? Is it better to be a founder now versus an investor? Is that why you did this?
1: So basically the choice between doing a startup versus investing. Right? Um,
0: yeah, of course. Is there a third option?
1: I, I think. I think I do enjoy um, And again, kind of come back to a personal preference again. I, I think it's very hard to, do, uh, to, to uh, okay. speak for others. Um, but I do um, derive more joy. Yeah. Um, from from building a company, um, then to invest in a building a great company, then to invest in a great company, um, because the sense of satisfaction naturally is very different. Because you had to go through, you know, all the ups and downs yeah. just to get to where you are, and naturally, when you when you are able to celebrate, you the, the sense of um, I would say accomplishments or, or the pride is, is is off the charts. Um, so so I do I do. Um, I, I do feel more driven and, and naturally more, more joyous uh, when, when these mm-hmm. uh, moments um, uh, arrive. Um, now, in terms of the timing,
2: yeah.
1: I, I generally don't think there's too much of a difference in the of timing. Um, the, the industries are evolving. Um, last one, events are happening. Um, the ecosystems are maturing. So whether you want to be an investor, whether you want to start your own business, um, I I don't think timing is too much of an issue. Now, of course, the timing for the market, the the model that you want to go up after, uh, that matters, right?
2: Yeah. But then
1: just the timing of becoming an entrepreneur or or investor, that may not matter as much. yeah. So, so it's, it's quite, uh, quite, quite different. Yeah, very
0: personal, exactly. personal. Yeah. I mean, it's personal, but at the same time, uh, of course, the fulfillment part is one aspect, but also which one would you be better at? And I think some some people have certain skills or they're wired in certain ways where one would be more optimal than the other. You know, some, some may be able to take the stress of one or the other. Uh, some maybe they'll deal with more of the stuff, uh, you know, the more mundane stuff. And both, both jobs probably have a lot of money stuff, but some people may have better preferences either way. So I guess you're right, it really just depends. And you're right, I think the timing mm-hmm. is uh, not, not so much of an issue, but uh, you know, if you think you're gonna win better in one area, maybe focus on that one yeah. where, where you could win. With that in mind then, um, what were some of the best things of being a VC and what were some of the worst things? Um,
1: I'll, I'll just compare it, uh, let's say, between the investor and, and, and let's say a founder. I think uh, being doing mm-hmm. the the pros of being uh, doing doing VC or investing is that uh, it's quite stable. Um, it's, you don't have to worry about uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not being able to pay um, your employees next month because running out of money. Um, so that's a big, uh, big mm-hmm. upside. Um, another big upside is that um, you're exposed to so many awesome ideas um, all day long. Um, that you're able to kind of um, be a receptor you know that people come to you and you can go to them they want to talk to you because they want to raise money so i i think that's a that's a that's a a pretty big upside um if if i were still in uh, in in, in dc i think the 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 downside would generally be that um, the the sense of gratification like explained would not be as high if 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 you do succeed, right? This is um, everything that's happened. You you know um, when you hire the first person. You know when the first um, product was launched. Your first customer. Your first um, uh, big failure. Mm -hmm. Your first uh, all that, right? And and that kind of all um, um, comes back to you at different different stages. And you feel, yeah. So I definitely think it's a it's a big roller coaster. If you were to do a startup. Um, another drawback for uh, with with investing uh, is that you're not as as deep uh, in general um, with a particular um, vertical or market or model because you spread so, you're, you're spread so thin. And so you may not be able to understand. Um, mm. a, a business or an industry, as well as you, you should, um, or as well as you would like to, um, because you're special. Mm-hmm. Care. Okay. Now, when you're focused on a certain, yeah. so so it's kind of like that um, that you because you're, you're you're so focused, you naturally know so much more, and you're you're deep yeah. uh, into that that, that uh, industry. It's it's yeah. So I would say these are the two pros and cons. Um, of, of investor versus
2: um, yeah. an entrepreneur.
0: It's a very interesting point. It's If you think about it, it's kind of like founder investor fit. Um, so like it's good advice for an entrepreneur side when they're raising money just because someone said no, it's not really something's fundamentally wrong with you. It could just be that it's not a good fit and maybe they're, they're possibly spread too thin. It's just not for them. It doesn't mean they can't help you connect you somewhere else or, or you know, uh, Help you later on, right? So it's just, just another, maybe maybe one of the aspects. Another um, way it's very to think asymmetric
1: when people say no to your idea is that if you're starting something that's um, very different, then naturally ninety-nine percent of the yeah. people will will be not will not be in favor of it. Because if you're starting something that people agree with and uh, are yeah. aligned with, it's probably there already. You're not going to be that first one, yeah, probably, correct. right? Yep. So it's it's actually only natural that when you start a business that people will say no, it's not going to work. Um, otherwise, uh, yep. you know, someone yep. some else have, it, have probably done it. So be yeah. prepared to to uh, to hear no's. Um, it's only natural.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things I've heard about those types of no's is that. They're the best kind of noes are like the somewhat uncomfortable noes. It's like no, but, you know, you know versus like a hard no because like that that means like they're probably chewing on it and there's, there's probably room for, for you to really explain what your secret is, right? Because you have ideally you have some insight that no one knows about and that's why it's it's why people are saying no to it because they don't know that insight yet. And it's just a matter of you can communicate that well and then prove it over time with your MVP and traction, right? So um, yeah,
1: it's an interesting uh, way to uh, to yeah. uh, embellish a no. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important to understand that, you know, it's like if you, if you could, if you have the EQ and you could sense that type of no, you're like, okay, there's something possibly here that just, you know, also then you just go look back and, you know, like, what did I not communicate or is it really uh, not a good match or, you know, it's it's a good way to compass right. To kind of look at it. Um, my last question for the VC section then, and then before we could wrap up is you spent time incubating businesses in Indonesia, how was that experience? And what did you learn from that?
1: It's, It's been like rocket, but uh, an elevated uh, version (laughs) in a sense that, uh, you know, the the founders have maturity share and uh, you help them grow the business from zero Mm. to one. So it was uh, pretty, um, pretty exciting. I I enjoyed that, uh, that, that, that thrill of, um, of starting something from scratch. And uh, and seeing it grow, um, yeah. so even though I wasn't in the driver's seats, uh, but I actually spent a lot of time helping them um, on, 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 on as many angles as I can. Um,
0: yeah was it was it closer to a venture studio model or how was the conversation? I started? would say
1: it's more like an incubation. So, uh, we, you know, we would look for teams, supermodels okay. that uh, that are successful elsewhere, and uh, kind of help them. Yeah,
0: import them. Yeah, uh, you know people who kind of do that they kind of get sucked into the ecosystem you know a lot of the successful guys in regional companies like Uber, Lazada end up founding companies in Indonesia and staying there but you chose India, were you scarred there or what happened, Like, why, why, would it, why didn't you stay deep, you know dig in and be like I'm going to go 100% Bahasa now
1: when I, when I when I've thought about the, the, the carbon car model I, I thought about Indonesia as well but because of the limitations mm, okay. um, due to the banking industry, um, it wasn't feasible. So that's why I didn't um, okay. so, think there's a fit.
0: Okay. Well, what, what is your greatest lesson then from launching companies in Indonesia?
1: Mm, you mean like, uh, what did I wish I...
0: What's the takeaway? Yeah. It's got to be something.
1: <laughs> I would say, I would say I was quite pleased. Uh, that uh, I felt that I was ahead of the curve, in the sense that I was to identify um, mm. a, a model that would, what that wasn't that wasn't um, say popular or or um, you know in, in uh, or or you know even not even existed, um, and then um, finding ways to uh, make that happen and and see uh, see it, see it um, grow from there. So, so the, 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 the idea of being ahead of the curve has always been quite um, quite, uh, quite, pivotal in how, how I think about um, starting a business or investing in a company um, in that. You don't want to be starting a, a business when when the, the wave is already at its peak. Most people do. When they see something so popular and so yeah. hot, then they jump in, whether it's stock investing or, or startups or you know, investing. Right. You know Everyone likes to change after the the, the peaks really. Yeah. Right? I would say that's you know yeah. if, if you you might be lucky and, and not get, get crushed um, but uh, I, I prefer mm-hmm. trying to anticipate a wave and be there before the wave hits. Yeah. Um, and so if it does hit then you know you you'll, you'll be a big winner. Um, if it doesn't hit sure that's your yeah. that's something for you to learn. So, so I, I think you know I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud that uh, I, I felt that I was able to kind of see what what could happen, um, and a lot of them did end up doing quite well.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of ironic uh, as a founder how you act versus as a VC, because as a VC you would pick the more proven models in a safer route, but as a founder that sounds, it sounds more risky, right? You're trying to do things that are not well known, so that you are ahead of the curve. So you're taking a little bit more risk as a as a found. So you have a higher risk profile as a founder versus a for sure because, because all your
1: eggs is one basket what? right with yeah. invest as an investor you have you invest in 10 Correct. 20 portfolios well, yeah. and if one fails you're not, you're not gonna be like um, portfolio management you, know, yeah. lo- lo- you, you may not lo- you may feel bad but yeah. you may not sleep over but but if yeah. you're if you're doing a business and, and you're not course, able to pay yeah. your, your your team salaries next month yeah. that's that's pretty tough right?
0: yeah yeah that's a problem and, but it almost seems you have found a good sweet spot um, because, you know, the there are comparables that have gotten quite big, like Brex. And you found a good niche that's huge, which is quite rare to find. A lot of times people don't find, they find a niche that's either too small or that's not viable, that doesn't you know expand to other markets. Uh, but it seems that like with this, you know, in, the Indian market it being a niche, it's going to work out to be quite well. And it's surprising that no one else has kind of solved it. So it seems like it's a good mix between the two of you know being proven but also yeah that's growth.
1: that's why I know that, really that's the reason why I pick Indonesia and India because these markets are so big if something does succeed you you have yeah, an correct. outsized outcome yeah. um, if you pick a, a smaller market then
0: yeah. <laughs> So yeah. So so earlier you gave me the response of expansion is always in the horizon. But if if the you know the time to strike the iron is hot and you could raise a lot of capital, would yeah. you try to blitz scale it across the region sooner than later, or would you try to build a profitable machine first in India and then expand to like say another market like Southeast yeah. Asia? Because for sure, man, I think someone needs to solve this in Southeast Asia. It's just very painful to see all these poor SMEs not having access to. capital I,
1: I think I I still believe what I said uh, that with COVID, you know, if if I'm not able to. Okay. Um, Travel or understand the market and build a team there, and all that, right? And why, True. why, why chase after something that uh, that gives you pain pains, right? And instead of returns?
0: Correct. But for now, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, you're going to be focusing on dominating the India market, which is big enough. Honestly, it probably could occupy you for the rest of your life, for all we know. And uh, you'll be moving to India Again, as soon as that possible. Depends
1: on COVID, right? So before before COVID, I actually spend most of my time in India, in Bangalore. So uh, I think once, the, yeah, once it's over, yeah. uh,
2: we'll definitely be spending a lot more
1: time
0: there. Well, yeah, you're the one who told me back in 2020 not to get my hosts up for 2021, which is so true. I still can't travel. I'm still stuck here. So that was very good advice to reset my mentality thinking I could I, travel I was, in 2021,
2: so. I, I was
1: just managing. Uh, you were probably right. So even though I cannot be wrong,
2: you be like, uh, you know, i can't yeah. be happy, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: correct. Yeah. I, I, have, I have you to thank for that. So I am not disappointed this year. <laughs> Um, okay, Pefu. Uh, anything you want to plug, or you know, how can people contact you or reach out to you? No, I just thought it was it?
1: pretty fun catching up. Uh, it's uh, it's been a while, a while right? And uh, it's kind of a unique yeah. format that you have here. Yeah,
0: I yeah. I mean, I know you're very busy, so I appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on the success with the YC raise and going through the cohort. Um, and I know you're going to kill it in India, man. And maybe the next time we meet in person, I'll, I'll be visiting you, your, your palace in uh, India. No, 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 no.
1: I think uh, it's still a long way to go. Uh, but uh, but hey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's <laughs> early days.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay.
1: Thank you, Alex. Take
2: All care. right.
0: Thanks for your time. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening to Peifu's episode. If you enjoyed the content or learned something new, please share this with your friends and family or for anyone else who would benefit and give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. So what do we learn today? Upon listening to this episode again, there were so many nuances to grasp that I will have to follow up again. But what comes to top of mind is around Peifu's guiding principles, which feeds into his decision-making framework. Whether personal or professional, Peifu attacks problems and challenges in a similar manner. The foundation to all this is taking the time to have a few basic values and principles that you will always refer to over time. As you go through life, what ultimately makes the most sense is when all stakeholders don't feel friction and the path forward is clear. In those moments, you keep going and take note of why and how it makes you feel in order to denote any values to incorporate into your guiding principles. The opposite is exactly true too. You know when you need to take another path when there's too much friction and that friction forces you to re-examine those principles and to see if you need to tweak them to do something different if something similar happens again in the future. You can also tell that one of his guiding principles is to keep things as simple as possible for clarity. You see this in action when I purposely ask vague or broad questions and he will break it down on a much deeper level so that a general principle can be derived and thus answers the question as concisely as possible. It's a superpower to see beyond surface level questions which allows him to answer questions very concisely. I imagine this is what really helps him grasp the big picture and to be able to execute on the minutia that builds up that picture. This is a vastly underrated skill that most people don't possess and often need a whole team to make up for the shortcoming of this natural ability. Aside from the guiding principles, there was a lot of practical advice from being an investor in the startup world from knowing your sphere competence to building a thesis from that and then ensuring that you're well-versed in ideally three categories of either sourcing, investments, execution, and lastly, portfolio management. I hope you learned something new and see you guys back here for next week's episode.